hook up uh, Rolling up another pound Every time you look up Big ass joints The ones that leave you shook up So much weight that now I'm doing push-ups Hello from Hollywood and welcome to the Greatest Show on Grass podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Newman, and I'm joined today by Tanisha Singleton calling in from Denver, Colorado. The Greatest Show on Grass explores the past, present, and future of the recently reborn Los Angeles Rams. That was Snoop Dogg with Wiz Khalifa. We missed last week's recording due to Thanksgiving, so we've got a lot to cover, Tanisha. A heartbreaking loss against the Dolphins a soul-crushing loss against the Saints, and a bona fide national story. The feud (laughs) between head coach Jeff Fisher and Rams legend Eric Dickerson, plus a preview of the Rams' visit to Gillette Stadium in Foxborough to take on the New England Patriots. The Dolphins game, as I said, was heartbreaking. Earlier that week, the Rams broke ground on their 3 million square foot multi-purpose venue in Inglewood, with top pick Jared Goff making his NFL regular season debut. You couldn't help but get caught up in the bright California optimism that a new era was beginning. In anticipation, we even titled our last episode, The Sun Rises in the West, in honor of Goff and his meteorological mishaps. There was some serious star power in the Coliseum to witness the installation of the Goffins, including Wiz Khalifa, Snoop, Sean White, Rebel Wilson. By the way, the best moment in the game might have been when uh, Rebel Wilson went bonkers on the flex cam. Method Man and Ashton Kutcher. But as has been a theme since Hard Knocks, despite Goff's debut and the star power in attendance, Jeff Fisher somehow managed to usurp the spotlight. The rain negated Goff's athletic gifts. He completed 17 of 31 for 172 yards, uh, but he only threw five passes over 10 yards. There were a ton of defensive penalties, including a roughing the passer call against Aaron Donald and a personal foul call for a late hit out of bounds against Alec Ogletree, which enabled the Dolphins to drive for their game-winning score. With 36 seconds to play. Tanisha, this probably feels like, uh, this episode's going to feel like we're going on a tour of the concentric rings of hell. One just keeps, uh, I'm saying. One, one story keeps getting worse than the other. But uh, what were your takeaways yeah. from the Miami game? What was Specifically, what did you think of Goff in that first game? I thought he looked a little more poised than I anticipated. I think I'm just becoming so much more pessimistic now that I'm, you know, kind of like we coined it like a 30 day Rams fan that I'm, yep. just, I'm hopping aboard like everyone else is in LA. Yep. And I'm kind of just like, I was, I was impressed. I think just because I was expecting so little and I was just a little bit more like, oh, okay, he's got something. But like you said, he only threw the ball, what, five times past 10 yards in typical uh, Rams offensive play calling fashion. So you're never going to really get to see, all right, does this guy like have the arm that he, that we traded everything for to get up at number one, um, the pace of the game. I was like, okay, we, we got this. We're at home. I thought, you know, it was just like you said, the, the Goffins, which I love by the way, did you come up with that? I did, did not. That? I did not. That's did something that? that's, that's <laughs> been circulating in the Twitter sphere. That's been circulating. Six or eight That's months. the first time I heard of it. That's, that's awesome. The Goffins. Uh, well, we finally have it. And I think, there's a lot to be optimistic for 
Yeah. And but just that game, it was just so gut punching. It was just like, are you fucking serious? Like, just going to give it away at the end of the game. It was just typical. And, you know, I'm out here in Denver. We're still watching the game from out here and red zone style. So I'm only getting to see, you know, red zone stuff uh, because I'm out here in Colorado. And then they kept going back. I was like, wait a minute. Wait. Wait, no, not what? What? And so it just kind of escalated into that. Of course they let this game go. The rain played such a, you know, it, it, it's just, it feels like, you know, this organization is still, Bill Plaschke wrote something uh, this week. It was really a great piece. Um, I don't His exact words, I don't remember, but he, to the same, to, he said something to the effect of um, the team is still stuck in a St. Louis uh, state of mind. Mm-hmm. They might have changed cities, but it's the same organization. You know, it sort of seems mm-hmm. when it starts raining in Los Angeles, um, it's sort of that, no one knows what to do at you all. You know, it, it does sort of seem like the team is 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 not quite yet here in a way. The the, the showers raining upon the Rams parade. Um, you know, the cur- here the the stage is so large. We wait you know, nine games, 10 games into the season to see Goff. He finally uh, makes his way onto the field, onto the Coliseum. Um, and, and, and the rain pretty much all but neutralizes an already mm-hmm. pretty neutral uh, passing attack. Um, so, I, I, you know, it was, a, it was really hard to, to judge, uh, I think, um, Goff in the, in the first game. Um, I agree with you. I liked his poise in that game. That was my that my big mm-hmm. takeaway. My big takeaway from that game was he doesn't look like. I don't know if he's a great NFL quarterback yet, but he doesn't look like the panicky kid. He doesn't look lost. That was lost. Yeah, in he doesn't that, look lost in that preseason um, appearance or two that he had. Um, right. If, if the Dolphins game was heartbreaking, uh, the Saints game yeah. was was. Utterly soul crushing. Um, the Saints abused the Rams, forty nine to twenty one in the Mercedes Benz Superdome. They had five hundred and fifty five yards of total offense, seven touchdowns. Uh, on the bright side, uh, Jared Goff, I think, continued uh, to uh, impress. He had a really beautiful toss to uh, Tavon Austin, 24-yard touchdown pass. Uh, He also led a really impressive two-minute drill, uh, driving 79 yards for a touchdown at the end of the first half. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Another plus, Aaron Donald, that sack of Drew Brees. There was this tweet. Mm -hmm. Mike uh, Tannier from Bleacher Report tweeted that it looked like a reenactment from Jaws. Uh, And (laughs) it was, like, so spot on. He completely just swallowed and just violently swallowed uh, Drew Brees on a sack. Um, but but the Saints, you know, really just tore the Rams limb from limb. They rushed for 209 yards. Fisher, again, usurps the story, <laughs> passes Tom Landry, losses by a coach in NFL history, despite coaching 82 fewer games. Uh, and then I think the thing that took me by surprise uh, the Greg Williams story. I definitely underestimated the impact that this would have on the Saints. Uh, he was, of course, the defensive coordinator for the team. 
when they were embroiled, right. embroiled in Bounty Gate. I wasn't prepared for the anger directed at Williams, uh, seemingly by Saints head coach Sean Payton, running up the score, pitching the shutout in the second half, throwing like flea flickers in the fourth quarter. Um, I, yeah. I, I definitely wasn't uh, prepared for that. But uh, how about you? What, what were your big takeaways from the Saints game? I was so impressed with Goff in the first half. Well, actually, the entire team, because like I said, like they were in it. They looked angry. Like that Jaws analogy was just so perfect because it looked like they were playing for something yep. and for each other. And it just looked like, all right, we got a game. This is going to be awesome, you know? And then just to get shut out in the second half and then look, do a complete 180. And the thing about the Saints and the Bree- and Drew Brees to me, it's like they can either score nine or 900. Yeah. It's like they can either throw for 500 and six interceptions and, and run up over two and, and do all those things, or they're only going to score a couple of field goals. And this is – they're one extreme or the other, and this was, you know, the extreme uh, on the positive side for them. And it was a typical, you know, Saints fashion for them to do that. And they, you know, did it against a, a Rams team that I thought at, looking at the first half of the game was going to be prepared to answer, but they didn't. They had, you know, they were shut out in that second half. So it was, I too was surprised by the uh, by the Williams stuff too, that they would run up the score a little bit, but it's, this is the pros. I mean, I'm not upset about it, that they were kind of having their way and toying around a little bit. Um, you got to do what you got to do, you know, as a franchise to get your players still hyped and, and get ready for the next week too. So it's like, that's on the saints. That's fine for them. You know, the Rams have to do their job too. Yeah. It also, um, and they it, did. it also, I like, I mean, I, it took me by surprise, but I like other teams like uh, hating the Rams. I don't think most teams hate the Rams. Um, I don't think yeah. they think much of the Rams, quite frankly. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. it's going to, whenever they meet again, it's going to make, make for a really interesting showdown um it'll be um you know emotionally loaded for the rams um so i didn't have a problem it's with funny it. how yeah i i didn't have a problem with it either and it's it's funny how when teams come to la or once they get a little bit of the spotlight they're instantly the villain and we this is probably for a topic for another time but we when we talk about villains in sports and why we need them yeah. it's so interesting to me because the Clippers are, have kind of been like that villain in the NBA. Now it's the Warriors because they're just loaded with star power. But everyone hates the Clippers, too, because they're getting all the national attention, all the spotlights, all the commercials. You can't get enough of Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and all these commercials, and you just can't get away from them, so to speak. So with the Rams, they had hard knocks. They had the drafts here. They're moving to L.A. They're getting a brand-new stadium. They're getting all this attention. And the rest of the league is like, well, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Here. Take this. They, Take to, 49. Yeah. <laughs> to know? be fair, there's been there's been some hatred or ill will towards oh, their defense. their defense yeah. uh, the last few years. The idea that they played dirty. There was that LaMarcus Joyner mm-hmm. hit on uh, Teddy Bridgewater last year. Bruce Arians has been a big uh, you know believer that the Rams play dirty. Um, but the location stuff, I think, yeah, makes – I mean, look, help. I think they're – Things, the biggest problem is irrelevance. You know, that's the biggest thing to worry totally. about. Totally. Especially in Los Angeles. So if we get the reputation as the bad boys of L.A., uh, that's fine. That's that great. Cool. I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that any day. Um, 
it beats the same old sorry ass Rams. You thought Greg Williams versus Sean Payton was intense? Lies, betrayal, intrigue. No, we're not talking about the latest episode of Scandal, Revenge, or Empire. We're talking about the Rams. It was a PR nightmare this week for the team. The Rams' implosion has become a national story. Um, I'm talking, of course, about the feud that... um, unfolded between Jeff Fisher and Rams' great Eric Dickerson. How did it happen? Um, Just uh, a brief chronology. Uh, Dickerson has been critical of the Rams and Fisher and some of the coaches on Fisher's staff on his uh, 570 AM radio show. And he's also a legend, uh, as we all know. Um, He and the Rams have acknowledged him as that legend. He took part in the Ring of Honor ceremony in uh, the first regular season game. He helped light the Olympic torch in that game, and and you see him a lot on the sidelines um, of Rams games. Um, He apparently requested extra sideline passes uh, for some of his friends, and then the strangeness sort of begins. Yeah. Jeff Fisher calls him up, Uh, and tells him, no, how about you guys go to some luxury suites? Uh, In which case, it seems like Dickerson politely hung up. And uh, according to Jeff Fisher, who seems to think this is some sort of smoking gun, he texts uh, Fisher, uh, uh, politely thanking him for calling him. But this is where the intrigue begins. Dickerson claims that someone high up in the Rams organization, in upper management, doesn't want him on the sidelines because of how he makes the players feel. He gives Fisher this chance to deny responsibility. Um, and, and Fisher sort of takes the bait. He tells the media that he doesn't know where Dickerson's comments are coming from. Uh, and touches upon a really good conversation that the two shared the prior week, adding, quote, I'd welcome him in the building. I'd love to have him come in. I'd love to have him come to practices. I'd love to have him come to meetings. At which point Dickerson comes clean that it was Fisher himself that called him to tell him he was unwanted on the sidelines. Says Dickerson to Fisher, quote, you can go anyplace else. You can go back to Tennessee. You can go to Cleveland. You can go to SC. Still, I'm going to be Eric Dickerson of the Los Angeles Rams. That's why I wear that gold jacket. I have the right to say what I say. And then, of course, Dickerson announces, I won't be at the Coliseum as long as Jeff Fisher's coaching. I'm a man of my word. If I tell you something, I'm going to do it. At which point, the national story ensues. Tanisha, are you Team Fisher or Team Dickerson here? <laughs> I'm Team Dickerson, and we've all seen from the you know the recap that you've given, and then I'm sure all of us have seen um, his appearance on Sports Center with talking to Kerry Champion, um, where he basically verbatim went over that conversation that he had with Jeff Fisher when he called him out specifically saying that, and 
I believe every word that Eric said. I believe the conversation would happen with Jeff Fisher. I believe it happened as he described it. And in that conversation, the first half of it, it's same, it seems like Fisher started off on a tantrum saying that, you know, uh, I'm the man, I'm the guy in charge. You're not going to have any sideline passes as long as I'm around here because you're critical and you're talking shit about my squad and you make the players uncomfortable. Now, you, you know how you have those guys that surround themselves with like nothing but yes men yeah. to keep themselves feeling and looking good despite the obvious truth, you know? Yes. To me, like Jeff Fisher seems like that guy. Yes. He seems yes. like that guy to me now. Hallelujah. He surrounded himself with, with nothing but yes men. Well, and so I, now it, the second that anyone yeah. – well, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, we've been, we've actually talked about this in prior episodes that that yeah, that this is his downfall. Um, we understand where it came from when the Rams hired him. Look, this was a t- he was deciding between uh, St. Louis and Miami. Um, the deciding right. factor, it appears, was power. Um, his the between the general manager he selected. And the assistant coaches that are working under him, we have a bunch of yes men. Um, yes men. And he has total power. When And we don't even know what Jeff Fisher – Jeff Fisher, uh, this is why I've been supporting him strangely because we don't even know what kind of coach he is in, in a healthy pro football environment. All we have is this ridiculous autocracy that Kroenke – and uh, Demoff have created where Jeff Fisher is right. doing everything from saying, let's draft this guy, let's sign this guy, let's cut this guy, to, you know, calling people about tickets. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. my big question. Yeah. Why is Jeff Fisher calling any, why does exactly. he, why, he doesn't, why is he calling anybody about the sideline tickets? Why is he These are tickets. We're the, yeah. with Eric Yeah, Dickerson. we're talking about tickets. Tickets. Tickets to a Dolphins game. Tickets. Tickets. And that's why I believe what Eric said, because he even said in his, you know, uh, in his translation of the conversation or, he, or his transcription of the conversation, he was like, you know, I don't have time to be doing this. I didn't know Jeff said that. Yeah. It, it, that's the exact same thing that he would say. He's like, I don't have time for this. But look. We're not going to give you any sideline passes. We're not going to do this, 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 and this. That's why I believe him because it sounds so. It's it's it sounds so too good to be true almost. Yeah. And it's like when you surround yourself with like nothing but yes men, like Jeff kind of does. It's like the second now that someone in that random environment said something truthful and critical and anything other than like yes sir, yes yes sir, yes coach, blah blah blah. blah then it's oh you make the players uncomfortable. No, it's you make you uncomfortable. He yeah. makes you uncomfortable. Eric makes Jeff uncomfortable. And there's no way in hell Eric makes the players feel uncomfortable. I bet everything it's the exact opposite. He makes the players more comfortable because they're looking at him in that gold jacket as but, a Hall of Fame. let's just... Um, You're getting empathy. Yeah, I hear you. Let's... let's yeah, and understanding let's, and, and on all that stuff. But even in the best case scenario, suppose he is making the players uncomfortable. Suppose. Let's just... Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous... Yeah. But let's on the on the far fetched notion that players are complaining about Eric Dickerson being on the sideline. Okay, sure. Still, there there's no other way to to 
get this across to Eric Dickerson than having the head coach call him. I mean, there's no one else. Exactly. You can't make up a story. You can't handle it with more diplomacy. Um, Vincent Bonsignori of the LA Daily News um, tweeted uh, something. He just Fisher doesn't is missing the point. It's not about sideline passes or perks. It's that Fish held those over him to shut him up. There's a kind of Exactly. Uh, punishment, a, sad- a sadistic kind of power trip that he um, was, um, look, uh, uh, the fans are uh, completely behind Dickerson. Um, totally. Even the, those, uh, you know, even the, those same celebrity fans that uh, the Rams have been trying to court so desperately while they alienate um, Hall of Famers like Dickerson, Snoop. And uh, Rob Lowe both attacked him on Twitter. It's so funny to see, like, the Hollywood scene um, getting this. <laughs> um, Freddie Prince Jr. actually said something really interesting on, uh, St- on, St- on Mason in Ireland. He was filling in for, for uh, uh, Ireland uh, this week. He said um, um, he compared um, Jeff Fisher to Dwight Howard um, in that, like, people can see in this town when you're weak and insecure – um, um, with Dwight Howard, you could see that he, he wanted to be liked so badly. Uh, it was just an interesting comparison for me. Just, I think it's part of, um, it's, it's strange though, because, and this is what, what's almost like the most tragic element for, from Jeff Fisher's st- standpoint. The only thing that Jeff Fisher does well is handle these sort of things. Handle personalities, (laughs) own a narrative, leave people feeling good about things when there's really nothing to feel good about. This is the only thing he Mm -hmm. does well. Everything else he's not that good at. Um, And he screwed this up. And he really, really screwed this up. Um, The one thing you got going for you and you fuck it up to like the nth degree. This was, yeah, to me, like it just showed like his, I don't know if like the, the hot seat that he's been sitting on has just got a little too hot. And so his ego just took over yeah. and he picked up the phone and just did it himself. You know what I mean? And then, cause it seemed like, you know, in the second half of the conversation, as Eric uh, um, translated it, it was Jeff had the icing all over his face and he wanted, he was trying to make you believe he wasn't eating the cake. You know, yeah. he was like, no, I didn't make, no, I want him on the sidelines. Are you kidding? No, we just have the miscommunication. Like, Great image. No, the players want him there. I want him there. Like, what are you talking about? No, it's I, like, didn't I, didn't realize, I didn't realize your mustache was so white. Um, yeah. Right. Totally. It's like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't mean that. I didn't say that. Like, yes, you did. Like, you just said the players, that he makes players uncomfortable. And now you're like, no, we want you there. So it just, he did a like complete 180 trying to save face. But he needs to be smarter than that. And he's not deaf, but he knows he's already been on the coaching hot seat. And so and if he had any issues with him giving him sideline passes, you squash it. You give it to him anyway, because you know who he is. You know what he's done. You swallow your ego and you just take it as an opportunity to, if you really do want to kind of squash this beast, go up to him and be like, hey, glad you're here. Anytime you'd like to talk about what's going on here and what we can do to, be better, to get better and win games, we'd love to have you. Look, you don't talk, tri- love, talk shit and then back yeah. out. It's a tricky scenario. Look, I, I, I get that it's a tricky scenario because these, sure. living, yeah. these living legends have so much power um, vis-a-vis an organization, even though they're not necessarily employees of the organization. 
So it's it's totally. it, it can be dangerous, but um, you know the Lakers did a lot better. You know Magic Johnson. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about how critical Magic uh, was of the Lakers um, over the last you know, sure. four or five years. He he gave the Lakers tons of headaches. Um, but you know, Namath and the Jets. Namath, yep, yeah, absolutely. Jim Brown and the Browns. Um, mm-hmm. You either ignore it or you call. You take make that extra um, effort to call and talk about it, uh, talk it out. You know, it does require kid gloves. I realize that, especially because, like you said, that living legend. He has so much more power and influence with fans and the court of public opinion. And once that is decision is already made, there's nothing you can do to sway the court of public opinion other than win. And he hasn't with that record that you, you know, started saying with that, uh, he's now what tied for sixth worst, most losses ever. And second, having played no, 80 some less games. He's got second. second. He's he owns second now. Uh, he's just got he owns second. Now. Yeah, he's just got one man, one person to pass, and he's gonna he's probably gonna do it this year. Yeah, the only thing that makes public relation nightmares like this kind of go away is winning and performing well. And with the schedule coming up, it doesn't look like that's gonna happen, especially next week against the pass that we'll get into. But this is just one of those things that you have to be delicate with, and. The court of public opinion, this is it. This is the final nail in his coaching coffin. And you disrespect someone like Eric Dickerson, who the fans are obviously going to team with him and side with him on this. You're going to get now a hell of a lot more. <laughs> uh, it's not going to be, you know, we want golf chance anymore. It's like fire Fisher yeah. posters are going to be up yeah. now. I immediately, as soon as I, this is his, this is Fisher's water. This is it. I feel like this is, this was totally. it. Um, and uh, it's it's ironic because nothing, no, no no coaching decision on the field will end up doing him in the way that this um, mishap off the field yeah. will do him in. How about Eric Dickerson, Tanisha? Um, how how did you is he? Um, how did you feel about his um, participation in, in all of this? Did you see? Do you see him purely as the victim? Um, or do you, are there, are there things he could have done to, um, make this not go over quite as poorly or was that the point? Do you think he was trying to, you know, not just, um, avenge a slight, but, um, right. go after the jugular, get Fisher at, off the <laughs> sideline of his favorite team? I think Eric could have let this go away quietly if he wanted to. And he's not, he doesn't want it to go away quietly. You know, he went on a media circuit. This was the national news headline of the day. And it was on every show and people are still talking about it and he won't let it go away. And I could see how that can rub some people the wrong way. Like, come on, man, you're talking about tickets. Like, well, it's bureaucracy, just give me something. Like I can, both sides, I think could have handled it a little differently, Fisher and Dickerson, Mm -hmm. but I don't blame Eric for doing this at all. And I don't think he's trying to play it up to get some type of relevancy. Like he's Eric Dickerson. He's already a legend. Like he doesn't need to do this. You know, I think he knows what influence and what power he has over Rams fans and over the Rams organization. And 
if he can use this as an opportunity to better the team, he will. Yeah. So you think, I mean, I was sort of insinuating this in my um, uh, play-by-play uh, capsule mm-hmm. summary, but that purposely holding um, back sharing that it was Fisher that called him that first time. Yeah. You think that was deliberate? Yeah. To, you think he kind of rope-a-doped uh, Fisher into sticking his foot in his mouth a little bit more before finally revealing that. that it was Fisher? Yeah, he probably did. There is a little bit of rope-a-dope in there. I could see him doing because, yeah, like I said, he's smart. Like, he's not going to just jump out there and do stuff. But he, I think the first, that first moment when he said it was a higher-up person from the Rams or that he was probably giving him an opportunity to say it himself, that being Fisher. I see. Like, all right, I'm going to give him an opportunity to do this himself and open up and be a man about it. And when he didn't, and he was like, no, me and Eric are talking all the time. Like, we're great. And he was like, are you serious? It did not go down like that. And that's when he just called him out. I was like, look, this is how it went, Harry. And he went on a sports center and just ran about it and on his show. Yeah, it's tricky. Also, the Rams are trying to make the case to the Los Angeles sports you know, fan community that the team hasn't just relocated to Los Angeles, they've returned to Los Angeles, right? So, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they've been doing, and we've been praising them all along the way as they actively uh, and painstakingly uh, look to reconnect with the uh, mm-hmm. uh, history of the team and the legends of, of yesterday. Um, that, however, left them very vulnerable in a way that I don't, um, think they quite um, accounted for. Um, right. I know they have um, people on staff um, whose sole job it, it is to sort of um, do outreach um, to the former players, the alum. Um, but I think I've talked to some of those guys and they've gotten mixed messages from the team. Um, Sometimes the team really, you know, makes a lot of promises about what they're going to do for them, how they're going to involve them. And then they'll go radio silent for a couple of months. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, Dickerson, they've obviously actively um, involved in the homecoming. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, Dickerson's also a sensitive guy. Um, And he, um, you know... He never really got to taste Los Angeles uh, as a player. He played in yeah, Anaheim just- he, the whole time. I, 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 um, and he was treated, uh, quite frankly, like crap by Anaheim the first time around. He, when he came back with the Indianapolis Colts uh, to Anaheim in 1989, uh, the fans threw fake money at him. He was completely blamed for... Uh, expecting to be paid uh, uh, by what the market um, ascribed to him at the time. Um, He was vilified, and and he's taken the high road so many times um, with this team. Um, I I just think Fisher maybe picked the worst possible Ram alum to start this... um, uh, feud with, and you know, December eleventh when the Rams return to the Coliseum. I mean, they're going to be. They might as well. Yeah. They might as well hand out goggles at the gate because they're going to be so many 
number 29 jerseys uh, there. Yeah. Um, but I guess before we talk about that's a that's a couple of weeks away still. We should probably move on to talk about next week's game. Tybo, five, four, three, two, one. Working out, keeping up, creeping up, keep keeping up with the Joneses. Smoke a zone with my pen pals and my neighborhood. This Sunday, the Rams, losers of six of their last seven games, 32nd in points, scoring one or fewer touchdowns in seven of their last 11 games. Head to Foxborough to take on the 9-2 and two New England Patriots. The Rams are 4-7, and seven, and I'd like to remind everyone that I had them at 4-12 and 12, uh, going into the season as their yes, final record. <laughs> um, and with the Pats, Falcons, and Seahawks ahead of us, the next few games might feel a bit like a funeral procession. Uh, Bill Belichick owns Jeff Fisher. Uh, Fisher's teams have been outscored 104-7 to in the past two games wow. against Bill Belichick. Uh, back in 2012, the Pats destroyed the Rams in London by a score of 45 to seven. Three years prior to that, when Fisher was still in Tennessee, the Patriots dismantled the Titans 59 to nothing. Belichick is seven and two all time against Fisher. Um, uh, going back to his coaching days in Cleveland. The evil genius, Bill Belichick, who had uh, the Rams walkthrough videotaped prior to Super Bowl 36 and who supported President-elect Donald Trump in days prior to this election, has spent much of this week playing twisted and sadistic Jedi mind tricks with the Rams, calling the roster, quote, one of the more talented we've seen. Yeah, I, I love gonna, it. I was going to say insert laugh track. Um, here's, a, yeah. <laughs> here's another one. Quote, I'm sure that Jared is getting great coaching and great instruction with the people who are doing that. Here's, a, here's, here's, my, here's my favorite one. Quote, they can score in a hurry from pretty much anywhere on the field with their skilled players and receivers. Oh, man. Yeah. The Rams are 13 and a half <laughs> point underdogs on Sunday. Tanisha, did they stand the chance? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Rest in peace, Whitney Houston. Hail to the naw. <laughs> no, no, no. All right, let There's me, no let me make a case. Let me make a case, okay? So, okay. Did you pick them to win this? Uh, I did pick them to. I, I, look. Uh, On paper, a long time ago, you picked them to win No, this. I didn't. You no, a long time. My, originally, I had this as an L. It was that Carolina one that I thought would be a win. This, oh, okay. But, I, but you know, I did have this as an L, but I, it, honestly, it wouldn't shock me if they pulled this off. Um, and let me explain. I don't think New England is playing their best football right now. They struggled a bit. True. On the road last week against the Jets. Uh, I don't think Gronkowski is going to play. Um, right. Uh, Brady also is a little nicked, but I think he will play. So if there was a time to face the Patriots, maybe this is it. You're getting them, you know, a little black and blue. They're a little bruised I mean, the up. Pats lost. So in maybe week, there's a chance. Yeah, they lost in week 10 to the Seahawks. Um, the Rams have beaten the Seahawks. I mean, you can pretty much use the transitive property to prove that anyone can beat anyone in the NFL in a given week. Yeah. Uh, but 
But still, I, I look. I That's think the what... team is going to be. Um, I for all you can say about Jeff Fisher being, you know, on his way out uh, or deserving to be on his way out, I, I still think he uh, has the locker room. I really do still think he has the locker room, and I think the players could rally around him and um, and see this as you know an opportunity to save their beloved coach's job. Um, that could also translate into just a competitive first half and a blowout in the second half. Uh, I don't know that they're going to win this game outright, um, but um, you know, I, I. But then again, you know, I. I I got to say, I just sort of hate the way Jeff Fisher just owns the story. Every week it's about Jeff Fisher. Yeah. You know, this has turned into like a survivor, the Jeff Fisher edition. It's not, it's not football yeah. anymore. Um, we haven't You're talked right. a lot about sucks. the guys on the field this week. Um, Goff against a defensive mind like Bill Belichick. Um, Belichick can really disrupt even the most accomplished veteran quarterbacks, it's not a great situation right. for him to be in. Um, 13 and a half. I don't know. Um, I think I, I take, I take the Rams getting 13 and a half, but, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's going to be a tough one for them. Yeah. And it's, I think it definitely will be a tough one and it's, you know, I'm curious to, you know, I'm a Chris Long homer, so I'm excited to see him face his old team, you know, that caught him uh, yeah. salary cap moves and, and trades and such, you know, and to, to get Goff eventually in that draft. So he actually took, I think, some notes from Belichick's playbook. And, and when he was asked if there was any extra motivation or emotions going into this game, you know, he, he said, no, there isn't. And, you know, complimented the Rams and said that they're a formidable team who can, you know, beat anybody on any given Sunday. And, you know, all of those lines that you opened up the segment with, and that's just kind of funny. And he, you know, it's, it's only human though and natural to want to show out a little bit against the team that cuts you. And plus he's coming off a great game ceiling strip sack against the Jets last week. So, you know, he's feeling good and he's healthy again. Um, so I'm happy for him. I'm not a Pats fan by any stretch, but I root for Chris Long as an individual. Yeah. So I'll be looking at for him. Um, but as otherwise, there's there's no chance, and I think this is going to look a lot like the second half of that Saints game. I don't think the defense is as bad as they showed themselves um, to be. I know they're not. Look, that's a great offense. Ton of weapons. You know, the coaches didn't have the team. Uh, prepared for what was going to hit them. Uh, they're the mm-hmm. first to admit that. They get outcoached. I don't think they're um, as bad as they looked. Um, the Rams have played really well against some really well uh, against some really good quarterbacks this year. Uh, most likely, it's not going to be a win. I think that's safe to say. But, um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I hope they can at least... Um, uh, you know, show what kind of uh, defense they have in this in this game as they go up against Tom Brady and and all his his entire arsenal of weapons. Yeah, I just want to see signs of what the Rams can potentially be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just want to see 
I, I want to see some rush in the quarterback. I want to see Goff poised again, like he did in the first half of that Saints game and, and in the Dolphins game in his debut. Every organization envies the Patriots. And quite frankly, when Tom Brady's your quarterback, you know, there's a kind of trickle down. Probably you ascribe things to the organization that are really just the product of winning, which is pretty much the product of Tom Brady. Um, But this is, you know, this is kind of, it's not easy to watch a game uh, watch your team go up against the Patriots, especially in New England. You feel a lot of envy, I think, for the mm-hmm. incredible ride that this team has gone on. And you you imagine, you fantasize about having a similar ride. Um, and you really want Jared Goff to succeed. You want to be able to see those glimmers of uh, brilliance. You're right. Um, so that you can right. fantasize uh, about mm-hmm. the future. Right now, you know, we don't have a number one pick next year. Um, there are rumors that Coach Fisher will be returning. Um, and yeah. um, the team doesn't have a great uh, track record acquiring free agents. So it's easy to worry what is there? that this is right. all that there's going to be for the next couple of years, at least. Um, so really it's about, um, you know, hoping that I think Jared Goff can at least fuel that fantasy that things might be better some, someday soon. Thank you for listening to the greatest show on grass. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and then review it on iTunes and recommend it to Rams fans in your lives, whether they've been rooting for the team for 30 years or 30 days.